All right, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Sarah Clark. I'm the Chief Legal Counsel at the Ohio School Boards Association, and I'm delighted to see so many of you here at the workshop today. Thank you for joining us for the seminar. Um, I have the privilege of introducing our next panel. Um, before I do that, though, I just have a couple of brief announcements. Um, if you have a cell phone, which everybody does now, but if you have a cell phone on, if you could switch it over to make sure that it is off, that would be most appreciated. Um, if you have not found the handouts yet, they are available online um, at www.ohioschoolboards.org backslash mhsel hyphen summit hyphen info. So you can download those. I believe there's also a link listed um, on the program that was sent out. Um, following this uh, summit, you will receive an email with a link to evaluate this session, as well as an email with a certificate for your participation. Um, there is also, as Kathy mentioned during the last session, an ongoing learning opportunity with shared information that can be found at www.leadingourlearners.org. So if you have resources or are looking for resources in this area, please visit that after this workshop. Um, and now I will turn things over to Jenny, who will kick off the introductions of our panel participants. Hey, everyone. Oh, my mic is on. I have to tell you right off that uh, when I have a handheld mic, I occasionally sing. It's not something I can control. So I apologize in advance if Tammy, Tammy Wynette comes out. Please forgive me. Um, and it'll be a song that most of you have never heard. So um, I've had an eventful morning. My name is Jennifer Harden, by the way. I'm the Deputy Director of Legal Services at OSBA. I've had an eventful morning. I use a mobility scooter because I have terrible knees and hips. And um, as I was getting my mobility scooter out in the garage, by the way, if one of you were one of the 10 people who stopped and offered to help me, thank you. I was, I mean, this is a group of people who care about people because normally, Folks in the parking garage, when you're unloading a mobility scooter, pretend you're invisible. No, when did, 10 people did not do that this morning, so thank you. Um, but I tore my shoe, so I'm now wearing gaffer's tape on my shoe. If you see that later, you'll know why. Um, so now you've learned everything there is to know about me, except for one thing, and that is this. As we're going through today, this is a question and answer session. We've got content. We can get through most of our time or part of our time, but really the point of this session is for you to ask all the questions that were generated either by your understanding of Student Wellness and Success Fund, uh, the Student Wellness and Success Fund program before today, or prompted by Governor, um, uh, Governor, um, thank you, DeWine, what happened there? Governor DeWine's comments today. I mean, I don't know about you, but I got super excited and started writing stuff down. Uh, when he was talking. Did everyone else hear his comments? Were you all here for that? Great. Did you guys hear that? Governor DeWine said the money's coming again, which you knew. Fingers crossed. No, he, he made it. He said he won't, he won't sign a budget that doesn't have a minute. So um, I'm taking that as a promise. Um, so I've introduced myself. I'm going to have, oh, the other thing I wanted you to know was this. If you have questions and you don't want to shout them out or go over to the, there's a mic over there, I think. Can't see it anymore. Yeah, okay. If you don't want to walk over to the mic or you don't think we can hear you, my, this number you will forget as soon as this session is over, right? My cell phone number is 614-589-7300. Please text me your question and I will feed it to my fellow well, I shouldn't say fellow. I will feed it to the experts at the table. Speaking of whom, the expert right next to me alphabetically is Jennifer Hoke, the other Jennifer at OSBA. 
I'm not an expert, um, but I'm Jennifer Hogue. I am the Director of Legislative Services, and I'm here to help answer any questions that you have today about legislation, particularly the Student Wellness and Success Funds, um, and what may or may not happen with those in the future. I think I'm wearing a microphone. <laughs> and it works, which is excellent. So I am Anna Miller, and I am the School-Based Health Coordinator at the Ohio Department of Education, and I've also done a lot of work around the student wellness dollars and how they align to a lot of our programming. Good morning, everyone. Dr. Jill Jackson, Ohio Department of Education, Office of Integrated Student Supports. I'm always excited to share the work that we do. My work covers what's called safe and supportive learning environments, and it's essentially the prevention and intervention work in Ohio schools to address behaviors um, to ensure safe and supportive learning environments. Um, it's not as specific as one um, content area. Oftentimes, as Anna explained, she's school health. Title IV, as you all know it, covers everything from school climate to prevention of risk behaviors, such as substance use and abuse, um, suicide prevention, <clears throat> bullying, harassment, intimidation, teen dating, violence, and human trafficking. So we'll probably be talking a little bit more about that throughout the presentation. I wanna thank um, Anna and Jill for their willingness to be with us here today. Um, I have been told reliably by people other than them, in fact, neither of them said this, but I've been told by other people that they are two, the two people in the state who probably know the most about Student Wellness and Success Fund. So uh, we'll find out if that's true. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, so I'm starting things off. Um, I'm gonna tell you just a tiny bit about the background of uh, how these funds began. I mean, nobody really cares about this, but just so you know, um, they were established as part of House Bill 166, which was the, the state budget bill, which for the first time in my memory was passed after the biennial year began in July. Has it happened before? I didn't know. Um, there are $675 million. There were originally, I think it was $550 million in the original proposed budget from Governor DeWine. Um, the Senate increased that to 675 I believe it was the House. You know, one of the two increased that to, it was a 50-50 thing. I could have gotten it right. Um, the House increased, that's why you're here increased it to 675. The point of the funds, as Governor DeWine said this morning, was there is one goal, and the goal is to help districts and schools support student achie academic achievement, both in the classroom and behind the scenes, because there's a lot going on in these kids' lives that doesn't necessarily, as we saw in the video, show in the classroom or show in the halls of the school. Um, and the best thing Governor DeWine said this morning, which I think I know uh, Anna and Jill will reiterate multiple times is that there is a tremendous amount of flexibility. Districts can choose to use the funds that they receive in whatever way is most important for their district. Um, so uh, again, the student, the, it was originally proposed in the governor's budget. It's part, it was part of his children's initiative in his campaign. Um, Sorry, my transitions are taking longer than I thought they would. The disbursement is $275 million in this fiscal year. Um, the funds were first dispersed on October 31st, 2019. The second disbursement is just this week, right? Later this week? It happened. Um, oh, it already happened. All right. Fantastic. And then the second two disbursements will be in fiscal year 2021, which is school year 2021. 2020-2021, um, 
And that's $400 million. And again, October 31st and February 28th are the deadline dates for those disbursals. Um, oops, sorry. And I think that's it for me. Oh, yes, just the quintiles. How many of you have looked at the math for this? It is confusing. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. There's the formula in the statute is very involved. And I am a lawyer, so I, I like to think I can take difficult, com complex um, concepts and translate them into plain language for anyone to understand. And I could not do this because it's not law, it's math. So I apologize. I couldn't make it clear. But the bottom line is the per, 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 per pupil allocations are based on where you fall, what quintile you're in, which fifth you're in based on poverty percentage in your district. So every district will get at least 25,000 this year, at least 36,000 next year, and then for districts in the higher uh, poverty percentages, they'll get more based on their per-pupil per allocations. Is there anything else I need to talk about uh, with respect to the uh, legislative background? No? We're good? All right, cool. So each of you, how many of you are directly involved in preparing your district's plan? That's why you're here, right? Um, and selecting your community partners. The only thing I wanted to, work, to mention about these two things were, is of course, you're required to provide a plan. And as the governor also alluded to, you're required to tell the state what you did with your dollars. There's a report requirement, which I know you guys are going to talk a little bit more about later. And you're required to work with at least one community partner. And again, Anna and Jill are going to talk more about community partners in just a second. So that is my intro to Student Wellness and Success Funds. That's all the stuff you already knew. Now Anna and Jill are going to tell you all the stuff you don't know yet. So we're into your slides now. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to show this slide of Each Child Our Future, Ohio's strategic plan. Hopefully it is familiar to you on some level um, at this point. But these dollars really um, align with the goals of Each Child Our Future, which again is to support academic achievement, but also to really um, meet the needs of the whole child. So putting the whole child at the center of this strategic plan was a very strategic move. Um, so where Jill and I sit in our Office of Integrated Student Supports, our role is really um, helping to support the needs of the whole child. So in my role, I support school-based health care services, which is like one of the allowable uses for these student wellness funds, which is how I became so familiar with them. They were one of the, the main funding streams to get this work off the ground. So um, to sort of echo what Jennifer said, um, there was $675 million um, of new funds in the biennial budget that went to traditional school districts, community schools, joint vocational school districts and STEM schools. Um, so I think that if you are in this room, you probably received that funding. Um, the second payment, again, went out on February 14th. So hopefully you're part of the planning, either as a superintendent, treasurer, or um, someone in the pupil services realm, direct student services, any of those roles. Oh, thank you. Um, so the requirements are really open-ended for this funding. Um, the main things that were really legislated in there were that the dollars be used for the 11 allowable initiatives, and districts were required to plan or develop a plan with at least um, one of the allowable community partners. And then the third requirement was that districts are required to report out on the 
use of their funds at the end of the fiscal year. Um, we have a guidance document now um, on reporting, but we should have the actual reporting tool that you guys will have to submit um, by the end of the fiscal year. That should be out in about March or so. But many of those questions stayed the same, so if you've been using the reporting tool to sort of guide your planning process, it should look very familiar when it's time to submit that. Um, so the 11 allowable uses, um, I'm sure you guys are pretty familiar with. Again, they were left really open-ended to allow for maximum flexibility at the district level. Um, so there are things in here that really um, aren't spelled out, and that was done intentionally to let you guys sort of come up with your own ideas, figure out um, where there are gaps in what you're already providing, and this funding was really intended to help fill those. Um, and so the, one, the second requirement was that the um, districts were required to develop a plan in collaboration with one of the allowable community partners. Again, some of these are really spelled out, but then um, you have the more open-ended nonprofit agency with um, experience serving children that leaves it sort of open-ended to working with um, a lot of different groups. And so a little bit more about the calculation and distribution of the funds. So there were 275 million um, this past year, 400 million moving forward on a per pupil basis, scaled based on census poverty data, which is a little bit of a confusing formula, but um, it, is, it is based on um, po poverty and the number of students in your district. Um, and it's based, it, it was paid directly to districts, which you should um, probably be aware of at this point. Um, a lot of funding usually comes through the department or through another state agency, so this is kind of like a unique setup. And so again, the payments went out October and February, and they should be going out October and February next year as well. Um, and the funds can be used for exi existing initiatives and activities. Um, but we're really encouraging districts to think creatively and either expand those initiatives or um, try something new with these funds. And um, again, districts have to report how they spent the funds at the end of this fiscal year and then at the end of the next fiscal year. But one of the things that we've really been emphasizing is that while this funding exists now for two years and hopefully two more years, um, you don't have to use the funds within this time period. So if um, your district and your community partner come up with this really great plan over the next five, six years, this funding you can use for those six years um, instead of just two. We also fully recognize that this is very new funding, um, and so we encourage you not to really stress out about what goes on this year's report. Um, it's very possible that your district hasn't even found um, a use for these funds. You're still in the planning stages. There are opportunities for you to share that in the report, so there is absolutely no pressure to really get, um, get a, full, a full program, service, anything out there. This year, we'd honestly much prefer that you spend time for thoughtful planning to really um, serve your students ultimately and not worry about what you're reporting out by the end of the fiscal year. 
Actually, Anna and Jill, do you mind if I jump in with a question about the, sure. uh, the report? Because I know um, a lot of the folks in this room are, uh, they know state reports are important and they want to do it right. So I have two questions. The first is, will ODE be preparing some kind of document or um, maybe you have already, and if so, I apologize, that people can complete for the report? Um, yes, so the report will be done online. I don't quote me on this, but I believe it'll be in either our compliance system or the CCIP. So it'll be an online tool um, that won't necessarily close out until the deadline. So if you have things that you can start reporting out, and I think that tool should be ready um, next month. But if you wanted to start inputting information in March and slowly fill out that report until July, that would be an option. And so there will be guidance coming out with that report um, around what we're really getting at with those questions. And so those will be on the web page when okay. the tool goes live. And I wanted to follow up on something you just said because I'm not sure I understood it. Maybe you guys all did, and if so, I apologize for re we're going over this again. But let's say my district got $100,000, and I know that we can sp spend it on what we plan to spend it, or sorry, we can spend half of it on what we plan to spend it on in this fiscal year. But we're probably going to have 50000 left over at the end, you know, around j June. Is it okay for me to say in the report we're carrying that 50000 over? I'm not forced to spend it. A hundred percent. You're not right. forced to spend it. You can carry it over. Mm -hmm. um, not only that, you really don't have to have spent that first $50,000 within this first year. We just want to see what your plans are. Have you been meeting with your community partner? Have you started developing a plan? Anything. Are there any treasurers in the room? Okay, so treasurers are very, what's the word I want? Persnickety about money being spent when it has to be spent because the auditor expects them to account for how money is spent. Are you all working with the auditor's office to make sure that they're recognizing that these funds may carry over? Yes. Great. So pass that along to your treasurers when they get nervous. Our fiscal folks have been um, putting out a bunch of messaging to treasurers, so it's possible that your district's treasurer knows way more information about this funding than anyone else because our fiscal folks have been excellent. And you all have a website. Yes. There's an MHSEL website, which we're going to get to soon. If you click to the next slide. Next slide. We have our resources. So on the Ohio Department of Education website, there is an, a student wellness and success web page. Um, I, th I think it's as easy. Oh, yeah. See if it'll go live. Perfect. Um, it should work also if you type in student wellness, student wellness and success. Any real combination of those words should get you to this page um, if you search on the department website. So that includes. Um, Funding information for districts, that's where you can see the actual allocation for districts, and it also has those allowable community partners listed with um, the initiatives. Resources for districts and community partners, um, there we've tried to organize department resources around the 11 initiative areas. We've included outside information from City Connects. Um, they are not 
um, a department resource, but they are one of the allowable initiatives. So we got a lot of um, really great information that they provided to us specifically for the page. So that is on our resources page. Um, we also have a frequently asked questions page that is really a live document. So as we get a lot of similar questions, we will be updating that page, but that should cover a lot of questions that people um, have already asked or you may be thinking of and don't know where to ask, how to ask. That's a great page to check out. We also have um, a guidance document for plan de development, and so that encourages districts and their partners to go through a continuous improvement process when really planning for these funds. So really digging deep into data, working with existing um, leadership teams, pulling in those community partners, and finding what's best for students. Um, one of the new resources on the page is the Ideas for Innovation webpage. And that um, is a page that we're trying to highlight the work that districts are doing, um, either with these funds or within the allowable initiative areas. So um, there um, links to a survey where districts can fill out, um, can really tell us what they're doing in the allowable initiative areas. And then there's an opportunity that your story will get posted on the web page, um, which is what those districts and links are at the bottom. And so if you click on one of those, it should take you to um, this. And so we actually have uh, Rock Hills Wellness and Success Plan here, and that goes through the district, um, what, where their, um, their initiative types, their community partners, a description of the initiative, and all of these will have contact information. So as you're looking for ideas on how to spend this money, um, we really encourage you to reach out to those that are listed on this page. They know full well their email address and names are out there for other districts to reach out and um, work through some ideas. And so some of these um, student wellness and success funds were not used for, and so there will be, um, there's an indication of that at the very bottom of the page, whether or not the funds were or were not used. Because these funds are so new, we recognize that a lot of districts haven't used these funds for initiatives, but um, there are a couple in there that have built out school-based health centers, and they started that work in 2015. So they've been around for a little while, they found other funding streams, but that's an allowable use of these funds, so you can see sort of what the possibilities are moving forward. Great. Um, so that is um, all on the student wellness and success funds right now, but there were also a bunch of other um, really great budget items that were in the biennial budget. So um, you can see school safety grants, school climate grants, and then the prevention education funds. And so I am going to turn this over to Jill to go through those topic areas. Thank you, Anna. So I know that Jennifer said school wellness and success funds, right? But I'm gonna give you like the additional set of funds that are available. So you get school wellness and success plus as far as opportunities to address um, the behavioral health needs of students, as well as um, prevention education um, needs of students, and again, school climate, all as really outlined in our strategic plan, and as applies, like Anna said, to our work um, in the Office of Integrated Student Supports, which supports Strategy 7 
in the strategic plan. So as you're familiar with Title IV funds, how many of you all are familiar with Title IV Part A, used to be safe and drug-free school, now student supports, right? So that continuum of work ranged everything from prevention to school safety. It covered SROs and the work that they do to support behavioral health and again, positive school climate and school safety. So we are so appreciative that again, in the biennial budget, there are dollars given to the AG's office to further support of um, our first responders and those that support us in ensuring the safety of our schools. And so we see that $12 million were given to school safety grants and are led by the AG's office to really, when you think about um, student wellness and success, we have to think about a continuum, not just a particular behavioral area, but everything from the school environment to ensuring that there is no critical safety issues um, at hand. So the AG's office is leading opportunities for schools to increase safety measures and positive school climate. Positive school climate is a theme in Ohio, and we're really excited to ensure that those environmental strategies are in place. Um, as a professional in this area and a proponent of behavioral health services in schools, I say all the time, we can't do effective work with the student wellness and success dollars if the school climate and culture is not positive. And so we have dollars that are allocated and give us the opportunity to ensure that we have a rich and healthy school climate and culture in our buildings. And we're excited to be able to extend the work of PBIS, or of course, positive behavioral interventions and supports in our districts. Um, I'm also excited that that was legislated to be district-wide approach. And I think that that gives us opportunity to have greater knowing across the district as far as what's going on, what our students' needs are, and as well as what applies to them, understanding it at the district level to support implementation in buildings across the state. So again, the school climate grants um, have been given the opportunity to have $2 million more dollars for the 2019-2020 school years. And again, the objectives are to increase the number of districts trained in PBIS and decrease the number, of course, of discipline incidents that result in suspension and expulsion of students, particular in, um, of course, our grades, kindergarten through third grade. So really a great opportunity to ensure positive school climate and uh, the opportunity for adults and students to be working together to identify what behavioral needs are and to ensure that there's an environment for those positive outcomes, both in behavior and academics. So the next slide, um, I'm gonna transition from talking about the school safety funds as an opportunity and the school climate funds to talking about prevention education. So along with the wellness and success dollars, I, 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 I've been in this field for a long time and to see as much opportunity as we're having in education right now around addressing behavioral health is just commendable. So in addition to the student wellness and success funds, we have the prevention education dollars. So just kind of by a show of hands, if you don't mind, how many of, of you all are familiar as well with these um, funding opportunities, the prevention dollars? Little different, okay. Yeah, cool, so it's a good number. So in addition to what Anna explained as far as opportunities to identify, partner, and plan for student wellness and success, 
funding um, opportunities. There's also an um, opportunity to address prevention education. And so we historically, through federal funds and federal mandate, have partnered with the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services on the lead on prevention education and use this as a definition um, across agencies, across um, the industries, around what prevention means. And it's again the focus on improving the well-being of students by reducing risk um, factors and risk behaviors that increase the likelihood of mental, emotional, and behavioral health disorders, including, again, substance use, suicide, other harmful behaviors. And the goal is with prevention education is to assure protective factors, not only environmental protective factors, but individual and collective protective factors to decrease, again, opportunities where there may be a decrease in mental and emotional behavioral disorders. So that is to understand what that work is, is to kind of give you that, that perspective that we use across state agencies. That then is the driver for the next two funding opportunities that I'm going to share. And then the next one on the next slide would be then the K through 12 prevention education funds. And so the governor's expectation is that every student in every grade in every school receives prevention education. And again, could not be happier about that to ensure the wellness of our young people. So again, we can see those um, academic outcomes. Um, these funds are given to the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. And then they are um, then allocating those to their, um, their county boards. The investment here um, for the prevention education funds was uh, $20 million in the state budget. And then we are going to talk about another $2 million that was set aside for professional development um, of educators in prevention education. Again, totaling that 18 million in this in this in this area. So 675, 18. So we have 700, if you will, round up 20. We're talking about almost 720 million dollars. For those of us who don't mind me rounding up my math, I think those are pretty good numbers, right? Of an investment in the state of Ohio around addressing behaviors. So we are definitely appreciative of these opportunities. And again, the theme with these dollars is partnerships, partnerships, partnerships. Anna said it multiple times. I will again reiterate that with the prevention funds. So on the next slide. We are on the slide that says K through 12 prevention education funds led by the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. And so as I said, they're giving them to their county boards and their county boards, as you see in the last item here on this slide, are required in receiving this funding to partner with um, districts to determine use of funds as well as utilize the funds. I'm going to explain that a little bit more. This process does have some requirements in its partnership as well. On the next slide, we do um, provide for schools as well as county boards what those partnerships should look like. Um, board areas may be more familiar with this because partnerships is typically how they get much of the work done um, that they are required to do. But in case um, districts and schools are unaware of what Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services partners look like locally, 
these are um, a list of partners that we have provided so that everyone is aware. Between your boards of alcohol and drug mental health services, your educational service centers, as well as local and community behavioral health partners in public hospitals. So those would be folks that would be um, applicable for schools and um, Adam Board agencies to partner with in the use of these prevention funds. The next slide then talks about a self-assessment tool. So county boards will partner with appropriate districts and um, community partners but a self-assessment is required. One of the things that has not been done maybe as well as we had like is for schools to have a good sense of um, an environmental scan. What is going on in their buildings? What is going on in their districts? What services are already being provided? What does the data tell us about the need? So this self-assessment tool really allows good use of funds, good use of planning, good use of partnerships to determine what are gonna be done with these prevention funds different than maybe what's being done with the student wellness and success funds. So this is a very significant part of the prevention education funds that is required, but also we know will be very helpful not only in the short run, but also in the long run. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, again, I'm projecting. Does each district is each district required to complete this report? I said it says complete one per district, or is that just districts that are participating? The ones that the county that the uh, the board agencies are working with for okay. the use of the funds are required to see. Yes, it is required for use of funds. Okay. So, are any of your districts using these funds now and completing these reports? couple districts. Great. Wonderful. So you probably, again, very much like the student wellness and success funds are in very initial stages with the use of these funds. Probably identification of partnerships or conversation with partners, identifying who within the district would be a part of this team or as community partners as well. The expectation is that you are very intentional and very um, thoughtful with the use of the funds so that there, we can see outcomes. It's not just for use of funds. But that planning piece is essential. So as Anna described, we very much understand that it may take the balance of this school year for you to determine use of funds. We're also expecting a planning process very similar to the improvement process for the use of these funds as they could also be supported by the use of your title funds as well. So we were expecting districts and community partners in the same form and fashion with the student wellness and success funds to think about uh, their prevention education needs. So then on the next slide, we're going to talk about um, then the steps that the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services are requiring of uh, schools and Adam boards to use these funds. And that, again, is to create a district plan of action, have those partnerships, utilize PBIS as a strategy for identifying their prevention, intervention, and treatment services needs across the continuum, and then aligning your prevention education um, at each tier. So what do you need for tier one or school-wide or what everyone would be receiving versus what are some identified targeted prevention strategies that may be needed? What are you doing with your student wellness and success funds? What gaps are there? How can these dollars be used? And then developing a plan of action um, based on the timeline. 
So those are the opportunities for Ohio schools in partnership with uh, mental health and addiction services boards and agencies to provide prevention education um, to every student in every school. Next, we have the Prevention Education Professional Development Funds. And I always love it when legislation includes education. You can't beat it, right? Because that helps better inform and implement the legislation with the end result, hopefully, of best outcomes. So this Professional Development um, Education Grant was looking for the next slide there. Okay, it's coming. Um, were awarded to educational service centers. So this was sent out in a competitive award and five educational service centers were identified. I'm gonna share those with you in just a second, but I wanted to outline for you first what the deliverables or expectations are um, for these funds. And first is that the ESCs and Adam boards again partner to provide professional development and the models and tenets of prevention and risky behaviors to educators and school personnel. So Prevention 101, if you will, is now required that all educators across the state receive. Secondly would be that then there's training and coaching of other ESCs in the partnership of, in the use of the improvement process to support districts and schools to identify and select appropriate prevention programming, as I have just described. And then lastly, that districts and schools explore how to leverage funds um, for, uh, for options for prevention-related activities, professional development, and implementation to sustain uh, prevention education and maximize these resources in Ohio schools. So, the five ESCs that were awarded these grants um, then would be Northeast, uh, the ESC of Northeast Ohio for that region, for the Southeast region, it's Muskingum Valley ESC for the Southwest region, it's Montgomery County ESC. For the Northwest region is the ESC of Lake Erie and West, and then Central is the ESC of Central Ohio. So as you're affiliated with um, any of those ESCs or within those regions, the intent is that these ESCs that were awarded will work with the ESCs within their region to ensure that they are getting the prevention education professional development to their staffs, as well as then how to utilize that knowledge along with those assessment tools and that information that has come out of the prevention education funding to assure alignment. Now that we have knowledge, better knowledge and skill, hopefully we'll have better ability to then use those resources, dollars and funds to determine student needs and implementation of appropriate either student wellness and success or prevention education in Ohio schools. So then ultimately our goal is in all of our roles to work to improve academic success, right? Again, we wanna improve attendance, we wanna improve school climate and culture and ensuring that students are more supported and more engaged through the use of these funds, which support not only students, but I always like to say also support our staff. Staff need supported as much as students in this effort of wellness and so we have better attendance, um, we have better social-emotional competencies, um, of course, a decrease in suspension and expulsion, teacher retention, and positive school climate. You wanna end, Anna? You wanna close out? Oh, our kids. Oh, hello. Mm -hmm. I maybe lost my microphone. Okay, cool, we're back. 
Um, so our key takeaways are just really that um, Ohio's working to build the needed supports to meet the needs of the whole child. We're really interested in getting school districts to collaborate maybe outside of what they would normally, um, who they would normally collaborate with. So ESCs are still on that list for allowable community partners. Mm -hmm. But if you look at all of the prevention funding, the student wellness and success funding, there are opportunities to reach out to your Adams board, public hospital agencies. There are a lot of new partners in the mix. And then, um, the department website has a lot of resources to help guide you in this, um, in this work. And so if you go to the next, next slide. Oh, next, no, next, next, next one. <laughs> next, next one. Next, next one. Um, yeah, so if you just visit education.ohio.gov and search any of the terms that we've been talking about today, you can get to all of these really helpful um, web pages. And then there are two email addresses on there, um, wholechild.education.ohio.gov, and that is our office email, so someone in our office will respond to that. Um, and then specifically for student wellness and success funds, we have the wellness and success emails. And now it's your turn. Question. There's a mic there, or you can just yell it out. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I'll repeat it. partners as well as to the districts who are seeking community partners? So we've been trying to do as much outreach to community partners as possible. Um, with the ESCs, it's been a little interesting because we have gotten that a lot where districts are reaching out to their ESC to sign off on a plan. And um, first of all, we're not collecting or looking at plans. So the idea of just signing off on a document that then maybe gets shared for compliance purposes isn't really um, the intention of the funds. We really want community partners to be involved in the development of those plans with their districts. So it would be great to be, um, to be like sitting at the table for that planning. One of the questions in the reporting um, tool that will be coming out really asks how you worked with your community partner and how you planned. So um, if you're having monthly meetings, quarterly meetings, anything of that nature, that would be super helpful. They don't need to happen every day. We fully understand that community partners and districts have a lot on their plate, so we don't want you to be like overwhelmed in, in your meetings, but um, we would like to see a lot of involved collaboration in this. And when districts ask you to sign off on a plan, um, I'm not sure where that ultimately is going because we're not asking for it. Any other questions? There's a gentleman in the front. Oh, a gentleman in the front. Yeah, you've got a mic. Thanks, Sarah. Um, what about preschools? You talk about prevention education and it all started with K through 12. Is there any funds available for, to starting a new preschool? Um, that's my first question. The second question is, your wellness funds, do they have to be a separate item line item, or does it go into the general budget? Or the, we'll do the preschool first. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, so for preschool, I would um, look to actually the PBIS framework requirement 
in early learning. And so that has, not only is it a framework, it has tenets of prevention included. It is the expectation that the educators in that early learning environment, along with um, stakeholders, relevant stakeholders, parents and whatnot, would be looking at what are some of the behavioral expectations um, in early learning environments and using that PBIS framework, especially at tier one, to address those prevention as well as school, it's, it's school climate and culture as well as tier one. And that is what is required for training and implementation in the cur current legislation for PBIS. So that, uh, as far as a requirement that's in place right now, would be helpful for the early learning environment. And the second question, I don't know, I don't know if you the want to answer that. The second question was, what about pre-K? No. Second, no, the second question was, what about funding? Sorry. Um, I believe it is a separate line item, mm -hmm. but I will follow up on that. Um, because this is separate from like the general fund, mm -hmm. when you look at your school's like fiscal report, um, which you can access on the department's website, it is a separate line item, so I am inclined to say that yes, it is. And for, oh, sorry. I was just going to say yeah. you are correct. It is a separate line item. Um, it's not part of the general fund. It has its own line item. It's to be coded in a certain way when the reports are made and those kinds of things. So it's very much treated as its own fund. And you can probably get more information about that from your regional um, auditor contact. They usually can help you with those kinds of questions. So, uh, and I have other questions if nobody else does, but I see a hand. Hang on a second, Sarah's bringing you the mic. That information is on the FAQs on their student wellness funds about where that, that line item, how it's supposed to be coded. I just wanted to share that. But um, on the school climate grant, we have one due, I think it's March 15th for next school year. Um, you mentioned how PBIS has been expanded uh, K-12, but I thought the school climate grant was more K-3. So when we write our application for next year's funding, do we still need to keep it K-3? Well, it has that requirement about a reduction of suspension and expulsion for that for that age band, but it's uh, it's la larger than just that expulsion part. It is the training as well as the implementation as well as the reduction of suspension. The school grant can go K-12. The school the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, say it again. The school climate grant can be written K-12. The school, the question is um, can the school it. climate grant be written K-12? The school climate grant is inclusive of the implementation of PBIS. So PBIS would be K through 12. It is then to utilization of that in the K through three space for the reduction of, of discipline incidents. So it has combined requirements there. I think I saw another hand back there. Will districts be held accountable or how will it be determined if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, including like the PBIS and things? Or is the data actually going to be looked at? Do they have to provide that? Are these plans going to be looked at? And what if it, we've got a few districts that just don't seem to be doing things quite, they think they are, or they say they are, but they're not there. What kind of accountability is there to promote that it gets done the way that it's been determined is best? So, no, go. so <laughs> as far as the student wellness dollars and accountability, we'll be getting all of that information in the reports. So there was no requirement for districts to submit plans. But the ones that have reached out about their plans, um, it's been really helpful to sort of contextualize how districts are using those funds. And I think um, once we, we will be reviewing the reports, so we sit on a team that does um, a lot of that work. 
So we'll be reviewing those reports, and I think that'll really help inform what ends up in the next budget bill. So looking at how districts did spend that funds, is that how it was intended, is it not? Because it's all very new funding, um, I think those reports will really be super informative to help carry over into the next budget cycle. Yeah, I think that's a good point. As we went through the budget deliberations, the governor, of course, wanted ultimate flexibility for districts, which is kind of new and unnerving. We're used to getting money with a whole lot of ways you can and can't spend it. Um, but that flexibility comes with a cost, and so the cost is they're going to be looking at it. The Senate very much wanted to put a lot of strings around and tightening down on exactly what the allowable uses were and how plans were to be developed, um, but the flexibility was given. So there will certainly be eyes that are looking at what districts did with that flexibility, um, and if we're not you know, ensuring that we're following the spirit of what was intended, I'm pretty sure they'll put more um, restrictions and strings around those dollars in the next budget. And sort of on the more positive side of that, um, we've gotten a lot of interesting questions that are like very new about how to spend the funding. Um, so it'll be really interesting, I think, to be able to review those reports at the end of the fiscal year to see what, what that intention is, right? So um, we've been asked a lot of questions about um, paying for temporary housing for homeless students. And there's, no, there's nothing in the legislation that says you cannot do that. So if we see a lot of districts doing that, maybe that is something that we can incorporate to the next round. Great point. All right, there's a question here, and Sarah's got the mic. Hi, uh, thank you. Um, I, just, I was curious if you had any examples specifically. I know we've talked a lot about the mental health services and some of these wraparound services, but uh, and from your department specifically uh, with build out of school nursing or actual physician or dental services being, and, and and I guess the hospital reference was on there, but could you refer us to any specific context within counties that would be great access points? So my actual role at the department is um, connecting districts to different providers and community organizations to build out school-based health services in school districts. So this is a really perfect funding opportunity for that. Um, so school nurses are like the best point of contact in a school to really start building out that programming. Um, but there are a lot of connections to, we, we encourage local health departments, um, public hospitals. I'm not sure exactly where you are from specifically, but we can talk later because um, there are a lot of different opportunities to partner with those agencies with these funds. We've um, seen a lot of really great examples of that happening with or without these funds. Um, so we've, um, the wellness plan that was pulled up earlier, Rock Hill is using their funds to renovate a space to build out their school-based health services. Um, we've had other districts in Pike County partner with um, a medical provider. The medical provider foot the bill for all building renovations, so there's an opportunity for that. And I do really think that's a really great sustainable way to, um, to use this funding once that renovation is done or once that build out is accomplished. It's often the healthcare provider that is billing insurance and makes that whole setup really sustainable. Great question. Any other questions? I have some if you don't. So, oh, there's a hand right over here. We're recording it, so I'm going to bring the mic to you so that the question, sorry, I'm quick. With the prevention education funds, um, 
are, are there any equity ex expectations with regards to schools they choose to share those funds and prevention education services with? And so you're asking about the selection of schools? Mm -hmm. So that there should be- equity expectations, right? Are there, are there expectations for the equity in the schools they choose to share their funds with and their services with? So I think I slightly heard your question, but I heard it's the selection of schools based on, was there something about the word equity used? Mm -hmm. And what was your question about equity? How equitably are they, are they shared? Okay. Are there expectations around equity in the schools it, they choose? Well, so it, the assessment that I talked about that is required, the self-assessment that's linked to the funds that the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services is requiring that their county board agency in the district do, that should drive and determine where there are gaps and needs within their district, what the behaviors are, what partnerships are in place. So that's why that self-assessment is tool in place. We don't want to assume districts are not doing anything because we know fabulous work is going on across the state in buildings and in districts in addressing behavioral health needs. So we want to assist districts in having them self look at what their landscape of work is in this space, see where their needs are so, so they can have best um, appropriation and allocation of funds. Is that helpful? Okay. Anyone else? I had just a couple of questions that have, were generated by, uh, we did a survey last fall for the uh, most of our member districts asking how they were planning to use the Student Wellness and Success Fund dollars, and these questions were generated from that. And the first one is, how do, uh, or can districts have more than one community partner? For sure, so um, a lot, there are a lot of instances when more than one community partner would be completely appropriate, so we really encourage that. Um, if you are going down the path of mental health services, um, perhaps you are partnering with your county board, but also a public hospital agency or a community behavioral health provider, so there are a lot of different opportunities to partner across communities. And if I have partnered with my community partner, can I then provide some of the funds uh, to the community partner as a vendor? Yes. So districts are required to develop a plan um, with one of those allowable community partners. There's no obligation to spend the funding with that community partner, but that, that funding can go toward the community partner. Usually the question that we get um, around that is, do we, do we have to spend the money with that community partner? And so usually it's sort of flipped. Um, a lot of times the partner will recommend either um, a program or service that is maybe outside of what their range is, so the funding can go towards that as long as that original plan was developed. Okay, so I got a question. Thank you for somebody, whoever used my, uh, my text. <laughs> and this is a question from a school psychologist in the room who shall remain faceless. Our rural district is using funds to pay for salaries um, including a salary for a public employee. We've been using, we're using over $675,000 to basically do the same thing with no changes other than we added one high school counselor. No changes in programming at all. Is this something that the accountability may change later on? 
That is a great question. Um, Faceless have, person. Yeah. <laughs> we have heard um, a lot from districts about how flat funding has sort of forced them into um, supplanting existing positions and not really looking at expanding the work. And because um, because the funding is over is only over the course of two years, they don't want to start any big initiatives. That they're um, forced to figure out how to continue after those two years. Um, I think that will be something we see a lot in the reports, and I'm not sure how that will really inform the next budget um, bill or like what gets into that. But I do think. Um, the intention was to try to expand and create new initiatives, so I will also be curious to see how that informs. So, the, I mean, one good thing to take away from this is that this is a reciprocal process. Everything that you do with mm -hmm. the funds mm -hmm. informs how the funds may be made available in yeah. the future. Mm -hmm. So, your clarity and um, completeness, I assume, in reporting how you're using your funds will help not only your own district, your own um, school, but it will help future fund recipients. And we have a question. Can, I'm going to quickly say one more thing, sorry. Um, and that's not to say that funding those existing positions isn't super helpful for a district. Um, if it's between losing that position or either expanding the work that they're able to do, we've had people um, fund counselors that maybe they could only afford two days a week for now three or four days a week. So they're, they're, little, they're smaller opportunities than starting whole new initiatives. So I'd like to make sure we're allowing for the understanding that just because our legislature came up with money didn't mean that now we could start being innovative. Certainly some of us were doing that, making those decisions, cutting here to address needs that that were important and so maybe we were front runners to this funding so I really hope there isn't a negative connotation to the supplanting that's yeah. being done we weren't waiting on the state to to give us permission to be innovative and we've seen that with a lot of districts doing um, great work already that has been using the funding to help continue that work without taking away from to your point other areas of their um, of their services and that is great and then also understand that the same governor that promised the same, if not more, funding for this issue is also a governor involved in a process with the legislature on whether or not we're going to see a voucher expansion. And we're, it's a war for our funds. So um, I'm not going to get too excited about that promise until I see how much loss is endured. I have another question that I got via text, which is, Considering the governor's comments on school safety and encouragement from our community partner, would the implementation of an SRO for a district that currently has none be appropriate use of wellness funds? We've also gotten the question of hiring um, SROs quite a bit. We, sure, that's a, that's a perfectly allowable, um, allowable use of the funding. Um, we've seen a lot of districts who are using their SROs in really great, meaningful ways to help support their school community. Um, we have districts who have members of their sheriff's office coming to like after school events and doing all of this really great stuff to be part of that community. So we just encourage when you do hire um, an SRO with the funding that you, you involve them with a lot of the school um, community and really make them a part of that fabric. I got one more question and this is kind of a follow up on another question which is this. 
um, who is responsible in the school community for making the plans? The question is that there's been some, the, question, the questioner says there's been some lack of communication among the areas in the district that maybe would be involved in this plan. So ultimately, I think the question is who is responsible um, for both making the plan and then seeing that it is carried through, is that fair? So we've gotten a lot of that feedback. Um, most of our communications from the state went to superintendents and treasurers. Um, treasurers naturally because of the funding, superintendents often because they're um, one of the, the big decision makers for the district. But we've heard from a lot of community organizations that work in these, um, the community partners that work in these areas, that the people that they work with in the school district are not really part of that planning and collaboration. So we are working through ways um, at the state level on reaching those groups. So we know, um, for example, homeless students, each district has a McKinney-Vento liaison who often also does um, foster care work and holds many hats. So better incorporating them into the planning process I think is really crucial and we are working on ways to better communicate with them. And we are, hopeful, we are hopeful that as this moves forward, every time the funding and the plan is made and the partnership is established, it will become easier for districts as well. Are there any other questions you've up yet? Yeah, there's another question right the fourth row, Sarah, on your right. We've got about eight more minutes. Thank you. So uh, one of my employees that I work with, uh, She's a, a certified prevention specialist, works with our local um, behavioral health agency that is partnered with our district. Um, they had a question um, in terms of, I guess there's some difficulties maybe with billing hours with the prevention specialist that they said is actually preventing them from hiring more staff within the wellness funds. Uh, she wasn't really sure the understanding of that, but. Didn't know if there was any information you could provide, or is that maybe a little too technical? <laughs> that is a little, a little technical. I've heard from districts that um, because roles are union, they're working on making sure there are certain requirements met. So it's taking a little, a little bit more time. I don't know that I have anything meaningful to um, contribute to that question, but. I will, I will think about it and bring it to our team at the department. Along those lines, Anna and Jill, if from this discussion you all generate more resources, will they be available on that website we've already linked? Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's linked in your materials, and they'll make those answers available in the future. Especially with the prevention education funds, just because the ESCs were just awarded those funds, as well as the board agencies. So we have not had the opportunity to build the resources like the Student Wellness Success. So you will um, see more resources on our website, similarly as um, the Student Wellness Success Funds have provided. And I would like to make one quick plug for one of our department resources that just came out. And um, it went out to superintendents and their designees and OEDs, so it's possible that some of you in this room haven't had the opportunity to see those yet. But um, they're these really exciting, healthy students profiles that can really help inform um, the work around wellness dollars or the self-assessment for the prevention education funds. Um, we've met with a couple county boards that are thrilled about this. But they um, are these profiles that show um, 
health and educational outcomes for Medicaid enrolled students. So we have a partnership with the Ohio Department of Medicaid that allows for data sharing. Um, so all of that information is available at the district and building level. So if you're thinking about um, filling out the self-assessment now or um, collecting more data for, um, for the student wellness dollars, I think that's a really great resource. And I can send more information about those to you guys and we can get them out. But um, that's an additional resource on the page that I think would be helpful. I think we are just about done with time, so you'll get about five minutes extra for your lunch. Um, I want us to have everyone to thank Sarah for her great work with the mic. I want to thank all of you who asked questions. I'm sorry if um, we paused a little bit after your questions. There's a really major feedback up here, and it's not always easy to understand what you're saying. So if you didn't get your question exactly answered or you want to follow up with one of us, We'll be here for a few minutes anyway, and we're doing another session this afternoon, so come listen again. Um, thanks very much. I just want to say thank you to our panelists, so please join me in thanking Jennifer, Jennifer, Anna, and Jill.